0: He also invented a super small chuck wagon that you could chase household dogs around with. (laughs) Howdy. You're listening to Come and Take It, a talk show about Texas by Texans, where three friends born and raised in the Lone Star State share our views on the history, culture, and just what it means to be Texan. I'm Mike Zulkowski.
1: I'm Sean McIver. And I'm Scott Elfstrom.
2: To many people...
0: Texas' cowboys and cattle drives. The image of tough, independent men driving a massive herd of longhorns across desolate country while facing impossible odds is universally iconic. The plots of any number of movie westerns focus on the cattle drive. But cattle drives aren't just a bunch of cowboys getting together and aiming a herd of cows north. They were highly profitable and well-organized business ventures that followed carefully crafted and scouted trails. One of the most famous of these was the Goodnight Loving Trail, named after two classic Texas characters, Oliver Loving and Charles Goodnight, who forged an epic friendship that has become as legendary as the trail that bears their names. But first, what's your favorite product endorsed by Chuck Norris?
2: Well, I'm not really the exercising type, but if I was, I would definitely purchase the Total Gym. Total Gym. I've seen that infomercial countless times as I sit awake at night with, watching uh, FX or one of those cable channels with Christy Brinkley. Uh, yeah, she's in it.
0: You, you might notice her, but but mostly but, you're but, looking at Chuck, but Chuck
1: Norris
2: has a better beard.
1: That's true. <laughs> that is true.
0: Well, I'm gonna say a uh, little throwback, little throwback Thursday action here, and say that uh, Chuck Norris had his own line of. Fighting Man's Karate Blue Jeans that he sold in the 80s at dojos across America. Yeah,
2: they had a spandex panel in the crotch. Yeah, so you <laughs> could
0: do, like, jumping double high kicks. I
2: remember seeing those ad- ads for those in the uh, the Ninja magazines that oh, nice. I got when I was a child. Yeah,
1: Yeah. Well, and when we were in college, I had an in- internship at the studios at Las Cleanas, and we took lights out to the Walker Texas Rangers set. And there I got to see Chuck Norris doing a commercial For some type of Indian casino. So I actually saw him physically endorsing this casino thing. So I trump you all because I saw the man shilling for something in person.
0: You know, I have a great idea for our listeners out there. If anybody knows Chuck and uh, he'd like to endorse a particular Texas podcast, (laughs) we're looking for someone who can really carry, carry carry the weight. What would come to be known as the Good Light Loving Trail began in June of 1866 when Charles Goodnight and Oliver Loving decided to partner up and drive cattle to New Mexico on a new and unblazed trail. Who were Goodnight and Loving, and how did their legendary friendship and partnership
1: come about? Though they were likely most famous for the trail that bore their name, and the cattle drives along with it, both Charles Goodnight and Oliver Loving had interesting lives outside of their cowpunching days. Charles Goodnight was born in Illinois in 1836 and moved to Texas with his family when he was only 10 years old. He took great pride in the fact that he was born in the same year as the Republic and arrived in Texas in the same year it joined the Union. While growing up in Texas, he was trained to hunt and track by an Indian named Caddo Jake. As early as 11 years old, Charlie took various jobs to make money for his family, including herding cattle, supervising crews of slaves, and driving ox carts hauling freight. When he was 20, he and his stepbrother, John Wesley Sheik, formed a partnership to run about 400 head of cattle for Sheik's brother-in-law. They drove this herd up the Brazos and built a log cabin at Black Springs west of Fort Worth. Goodnight continued taking cotton and provisions to Houston for a while as a side job until Sheik married and he had to take on the bulk of the responsibility for the ranch. It was also during this time that he met and befriended Oliver Loving. When Goodnight was 20,
2: he joined the local militia and fought against raiding Comanches. The very next year, he joined the Texas Rangers. Perhaps his most famous act as a ranger was raising and leading a posse against the Comanche in 1860, where they located and liberated the most famous of all Comanche captives, Cynthia Ann Parker. And in the sort of intersections that are so common in Texas history, he later made a treaty with her son, the equally famous Comanche leader, Quanah Parker. Goodnight joined the Confederate Army when the Civil War broke out, spending most of the war in a frontier regiment guarding against Indian raids. His service ended in 1864 and he returned home to take up ranching once again.
0: Like Charles Goodnight, Oliver Loving was not a native of Texas. Born and raised in Kentucky in 1812, he was a farmer there until he was 31 years old and moved to the Republic of Texas in 1843. By this time, he was already a married man with several children. When he arrived, he was granted 640 acres of farmland in Collin, Dallas, and Parker Counties. Much like Goodnight, he hauled freight for a while to supplement his income from farming. By 1855, Loving had moved to the area that would become Palo Pinto County, west of Fort Worth, where he had a ranch and a general store. In 1857, he made his first cattle drive pioneering the Shawnee Trail, which went northeast to Missouri and Illinois. He sold the animals in Illinois for $36 a head, which was profitable enough to do it again the next year with a partner named John Durkee.
1: In 1860, Loving and another partner took a herd of 1,500 cattle northwest to Denver. They stopped in Pueblo and wintered the cattle there. When spring rolled around, they traded the animals for gold and headed back for Texas. Unfortunately, the Civil War had begun between the time he left and the time he set out for home. Union officials prevented him from returning to the South. The famous scout Kit Carson and other local officials intervened on Loving's behalf and got him released. Of course, the Yankees may have been right to try to hold him since Loving did not sit out the war. The Confederate Army contracted him to deliver cattle to their troops on the Mississippi. This turned out to be a losing proposition, though, for Loving, and by the end of the war, the Confederate government owed him close to $250,000, several million dollars in today's money. Still, he was prosperous and well-liked for his friendly and gregarious nature. What he needed was a good partner to recoup his losses from the war. He found it in Charlie Goodnight.
2: The ranching was already a way of life for many Texans. The plains were still wide open with few areas fenced in. The Longhorns were largely wild, and had been allowed to run free during the war. Rounding up the roaming cattle was called making the gather, and Goodnight was a part of that. Goodnight and Loving maintained their friendship throughout the war, and after it ended, they found themselves in the same predicament. Within Texas, the supply of cattle far outpaced the demand, but elsewhere, the demand and price were extremely high. This drove the ranchers of Texas to figure out safe and efficient ways to get cattle where they would fetch top dollar. The Shawnee Trail was well known, and, but it passed through the lawless Indian Territory, now known as Oklahoma. The Chisholm Trail passed through Comanche and Cheyenne lands, which wouldn't be safe until the 1870s. Loving and Goodnight believed that their best option was to go west, to the Indian agencies and army posts of New Mexico.
0: In the spring of 1866, Goodnight and Loving joined together and left Fort Belknap, Texas, with 18 men and 2,000 head of cattle, headed for New Mexico. They planned to cut through the lower plains west of Austin to the Pecos River and follow it north through the Texas and New Mexico desert. The increasing numbers of settlers and soldiers, as well as the resettlement of over 8,000 Navajos to Fort Sumner, meant an increase in demand in New Mexico. The possibility of a large profit was almost guaranteed. Because they would travel through uncivilized territory, Goodnight came up with an idea to facilitate hauling and preparing enough food supplies for the whole party. He took an army surplus due to Baker Supply Wagon and made numerous modifications, creating the very first Chuck Wagon. The idea would be duplicated by others time and again, becoming one of the most iconic symbols of trail drives and cowboys. The Chuck Wagon was not his only innovation, though. Goodnight later developed a practical side saddle for his wife, Marianne Molly Dyer, and was reportedly the first rancher in the panhandle to build barbed wire fences and artificial watering facilities. He also invented a super small chuck wagon <laughs> that you could chase household dogs around with.
1: I don't think that happened.
0: <laughs> Get on the gravy train! <laughs>
1: you just put water
0: in it, and it turns to magic gravy, the
1: dog's desire. When Goodnight and Loving arrived at Fort Sumter in June 1866, their hunch paid off. Because of high demand, they were able to ask for premium prices for their cattle, earning an impressive eight cents a pound for their steers. Goodnight returned to Texas with a profit of $12,000, while Loving continued north with 800 remaining cattle that the officials at Fort Sumner did not want. This was approximately $180,000 adjusted for inflation. As Loving continued, he was stopped at a toll gate in the Rattan Pass, where he had to pay Richens Lacey Wooten 10 cents a head to cross. Wooten was making a tidy profit charging cattle drivers to cross through the only convenient pass in the area. Still, when Loving arrived in Denver, he sold the rest of the herd to John Wesley Illiff, one of the retail store owners there. Later that year, the pair drove a second herd of cattle, bought from John S. Chisholm on his Concho River Range to Fort Sumner, and made similar profits.
2: Given their success in 1866, it was only logical that the two would repeat the drive the next year. But the second drive did not go as smoothly as the first. At Horsehead Crossing on the Pecos, the herd was attacked by a band of Comanche during a heavy rainstorm. The cowboys managed to fight the raiders off, but the herd was scattered. Loving and one of the cowpunchers, one-armed Bill Wilson, rode ahead to let the buyers at Fort Sumner know that the herd would be delayed. Loving intended to travel only at night to avoid detection by the Indians, but became impatient with his progress and pushed ahead during the day. This carelessness proved disastrous as they were ambushed by Comanches. They escaped, but not before Loving received a wound to his arm. He sent Wilson back to the herd and managed to avoid the Comanche, arriving at Fort Sumner with the aid of Mexican traders.
0: Despite Loving's daring actions, the wound he received eventually became gangrenous and the arm was amputated. Even that drastic measure was not enough to save him, and he died from blood poisoning on September 25th at Fort Sumner. His body was buried there, but before his death, he made Goodnight promise to bury him in Texas. Goodnight agreed, but continued the cattle drive to Colorado. He was forced to pay Wooten a toll, but he was less than pleased by the prospect. With his cows delivered, he returned to Fort Sumner and had Loving's body exhumed so that he could take it back to Texas. Goodnight took Loving to Weatherford, where he is buried
1: in Greenwood Cemetery. In 1868, Goodnight made the trip a few more times without his partner after making a deal with Iliff in the spring to deliver cattle to the Union Pacific Railroad in Cheyenne, Wyoming. He paid the toll at Rutton Pass, but also scouted out a new trail during these drives, revising and perfecting the course of the trail each time. It eventually grew to be about 2,000 miles long, The trail was a long, looping route that started in central Texas, curled around the base of the Rocky Mountains, and traveled through Colorado before ending in Cheyenne, Wyoming. The route eventually bypassed Wooten's Toll Route in favor of the easier, and free, Tenchera Pass. Goodnight, though, was done using the trail that would take on his name, largely settling on a series of ranches he owned in various parts of Texas. But many other cattle companies from Texas, New Mexico, and Colorado followed the trail established by Goodnight and Loving for more than a decade. By the early 1880s, the railroad network grew to the point that the need to drive cattle herds to distant railheads became less and less necessary, and the era of the cattle drive came to an end.
2: Of course, what is remembered as fondly as the trail was the friendship between Goodnight and Loving. It was legendary and left a lasting impact on Goodnight's life. As Loving was dying in Fort Sumner, Goodnight sat next to his sick friend's bedside for the full two weeks that it took for him to die. Of course, he went through great struggles to fulfill Loving's final wish to be buried in Texas. In later years, Goodnight put a photograph of Loving on his desk and reportedly kept one in his pocket long after the other man's death. He also continued splitting the earnings from his drives with Loving's family for many years. In
0: 1876, Goodnight, partnering with businessman John George Adair, formed the J.A. Ranch in Paladura Canyon in the Texas Panhandle. Within 10 years, the ranch grew to over 1.3 million acres with more than 100,000 head of cattle. When Goodnight started the ranch, it was only a deserted area. While it had a fair amount of grass, timber, water, and game, none of these natural resources were abundant. It was so deserted that there was little demand on what was available. In 1878, he took the first J.A. Trail herd, led by his famous steer Old Blue, north to Dodge City, Kansas, and the railhead located there. This was another trail goodnight Blaze, that would be used by other cattlemen to drive their herds. Later that fall, he made the famous treaty with Quanah Parker and gave his followers two cows every other day, so long as they did not disturb the herd. Two years later, in 1880, he helped found the Panhandle Stockmen's Association. This group was organized to improve everything about the ranching business, including cattle breeding methods and reducing the threat of rustlers and outlaws.
1: Despite all the good things that he did, Goodnight's life was not without controversy. In 1886, he became involved in the Grassley's fight, a legal conflict over Big Cattlemen's appropriation of public land for grazing, and he came to symbolize the Big Cattlemen's interests. He was seriously criticized by the press for his position in the dispute and was even accused of robbing money from schoolchildren of Texas. At the same time, changes in the business of raising cattle, as well as a stomach ailment that almost killed him, convinced Goodnight to sell his interest in the J.A. Ranch when the contract came up in 1887. He limited his ranching activities to a new ranch and house he bought east of Amarillo in what is today a town that bears his name. This new ranch had a relatively small herd, including 250 buffalo, that he'd shown an interest in preserving.
2: Expanding his business interests beyond ranching, Goodnight invested heavily in a Mexican mine that eventually failed. He lost more money because of his investments in the Interstate Land Company after courts declared the land Granite capitalized on invalid. Still, his other investments in ranch allowed him to remain financially comfortable, and he continued his breeding experiments with buffalo. He also kept a menagerie of elk, antelope, and other animals, including various types of birds and zoo-like enclosures. This menagerie was impressive enough that the Goodnight Ranch became a tourist attraction in the Texas Panhandle. Goodnight's interests extended beyond business and animals, and though he'd never had more than a few months' formal education, he created a college to provide others the higher education that he never got. Unfortunately, lack of funding and competition from several other colleges in the area meant that the doors of Goodnight University were only open for about 30 years, from 1898 to 1917. In 1926, Molly... Goodnight's
0: wife of more than 55 years died. He fell seriously ill soon after, but was nursed back to health by Corinne Goodnight, a nurse and telegraph operator from Montana that he'd struck up a correspondence with because of their shared last name. Though she was a distant cousin, he married the 26-year-old on his 91st birthday the next year. Shortly afterwards, he sold his ranch with a stipulation that he could live there for the rest of his life. Unfortunately, This stipulation proved largely unnecessary as he was 91 years old. He spent his remaining winters in Arizona because of his frail condition. He died a few years later, on December 12, 1929.
2: Goodnight's influence extended long beyond his death. While founding the J.A. Ranch in 1876, he and his family preserved a herd of bison. It is said that the descendants of this herd survive to this day in Caprock Canyon State Park. While the herd at Caprock Canyon's was donated by J.A. Ranch, there is no actual documentation that it's the herd that was preserved by Goodnight. It is known that bison from the Goodnight Herd were introduced into Yellowstone National Park in 1902 and were distributed to several large zoos and ranches around the nation. Goodnight also crossbred his buffalo with his cattle, creating hybrids he called cattle but which most people refer to as beefalo.
0: Mmm. Beefalo. Mm, yum. Yum. Who wants to go get a hamburger?
2: I don't want a hamburger. Uh, I want a I want beefalo burger. Beefalo
0: <laughs> Loving's legacy is not as extensive as Goodnight's. Now, this may be due to the fact that Goodnight lived for another 40 years. Nonetheless, he made such an impact on Texas and New Mexico that there are several features named after him. There is a small city in New Mexico that bears his name, and we recorded an episode on Loving County, which is the least populous in Texas, in an area that the trail passed through. In addition, the area of the Pecos River where he suffered his eventual fatal injury
1: is now known as Loving's Bend. Goodnight and Loving's influence does not end with the few places named after them, though. They and their trail can legitimately be called Legends of the West. Both men were inducted into the Cowboy Hall of Fame, and they have been inspirations to pop culture. There's a song about the trail by folk singer Utah Phillips, and a song about Goodnight and Loving by country singer Clint Black. Perhaps most notably, though, the Goodnight Loving Trail, and especially the Cattle Drive of 1867, form the inspiration for Larry McMurtry's Pulitzer Prize-winning novel, Lonesome Dove, and the TV miniseries based on it. While not a direct telling of the story, there is no denying that Goodnight and Loving were the inspirations for the story. The names and the main characters are changed, but Goodnight himself makes an appearance in the novel. The story revolves around one man's promise to honor his friend's wish to be buried in Texas after he's attacked and wounded by Indians and dies of blood poisoning. It's telling that McMurtry's novel is often considered the quintessential novel about Texas, and the compelling men that inspired the story have so much to do with that.
2: We all want friends like that. Well, there's that you
0: know, you know that it's a it's the scene out of the movie of
1: bury bury me in Texas, won't yeah. ya? I want you to bury me in
0: Texas, but I think you have to have a great name. I mean, not that Zolkowski isn't an awesome name, but (laughs) you know, like nobody wants to drive their cattle on the like you know the like the the boozer stoner trail, you know.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, I don't know. Well, and that's the thing about so it's the the Goodnight Loving Trail was kind of a specific trail of its time. You know, the more famous trail is obviously the Chisholm Trail, which goes straight up. Through central, you know, through Texas up to up to Dodge City.
2: Yeah, but the, the Chisholm Trail isn't named after a person, I don't think, yes. is it?
1: Yes, that's correct. Um, but they weren't practical. And so you look at a map of the Good Night Loving Trail, it doesn't look practical. I mean it's two thousand long miles long, it makes it like a loop. But then you look at it and it's like, well, they stayed in the prairie and then they got to a river and then cut up through the desert that way. And that was logical.
0: Well, we talked about you know, butler down in South Texas and driving cattle and, and as in the cattle business a bit Mm -hmm. when we covered that story. But I think it's, there's this magical time in Texas where the railroads haven't really reached Texas, Mm -hmm. but there's enough expansion West that people need the beef and, and they're just, cows are just walking around in your yard. It's just, if you can get them to Kansas, you can make a lot of money.
1: Yeah. And let's talk about the longhorn a little bit because the longhorn was not an ideal beef cow. I mean, it, they are skinny and stringy, and their meat is tough, and it's like just this side of leather. Very popular, though, if you like want low-fat food. Well, but it, the <laughs> thing about it was is it was hardy. It could resist the disease. Yeah. It could go anywhere. There's accounts of them fighting bears <laughs> um, and winning <laughs> and fighting mountain lions and winning. And they were, like you said, they were everywhere you they're just had to go and get them were,
0: you have to go get them they're but they're tough
1: they were the natural right. tough cattle. and there was such a demand after the civil war there was such a huge demand for beef that that it was worth it to take it to where it was needed in texas you could just go out and get a cow and eat yeah. you know there was the cattle was like less than a dollar a cow right so it wasn't worth it to you know in texas but you know, outside it was you know to brave these hardships and get them to where people were going to pay money for them, and that was what was worth it. I'm sorry, but you're making me very hungry right now. <laughs> I really
0: want some barbecue. Yeah, uh,
2: I wonder if you can find beefalo anywhere. Well, where, where where can I find some beefalo?
1: Uh you can actually find it where it's marked as buffalo, because I read this one time. Most of the beef that it, most of the buffalo that is sold commercially is, is actually actually beefalo. beefalo. Right? They Bred the beef, the bu- buffalo, basically. What's the word I'm looking for? They bred all the buffalo characteristics into these beefalo, beefalo and so they're primarily buffalo, but they do come from this beef stock, this cattle stock. Mm.
0: There is a hardy stock in buffalo ranching, but it's one of those funny USDA regulations where what quali- how much buffalo does
1: it take to qualify? Oh, okay. Well, there you go. But it's delicious. Thank you, thank you, Charles. Good night. Yum. Well, and it's interesting that he
0: had built a menagerie and preserved all those animals at the end of his life that he'd been somebody to work with because nobody really, you know, there was no sense of conservation
2: at that time. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like a Texan Teddy Roosevelt.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, and he he did lead a remarkable life. I mean, he once again we get back to we haven't talked about ox cart ox carts in Texas. <laughs>
0: Yeah, the ox cart. Well, that, yeah. and that was that weird time of goods had to be transported. There wasn't an established yeah, it was, infrastructure. It was pre railroad. Right. You so, just put it on a cart, you hitched up your ox, and you hauled it across the land. Yeah. So
1: he was involved in that business. He was, and he was, and he was a ranger. And so, like, these intersections of the things that we've talked about before, he kind of embodied many of those things.
0: Well, it takes a lot of, like, people, like, oh, okay, and they think of, always oh, a cattleman and stuff. It takes a lot of guts to get on, like, as much guts as I think it would take today to get on, like, a sailboat and sail over the horizon, <laughs> to get on a horse and to ride over the yeah. horizon well, out I into mean, the I into think, the wastelands of America.
2: I think in modern times you think, oh, he's a cattleman. That means, well, he owns the land that the ranch is on and he administers the ranch, but a cattleman's not necessarily the one out there mm-hmm. in, the, in the fields running the cattle around, but back then, if you're a cattleman, you're out there on your horse, taking your cattle from point A to point B where you can sell it.
0: I I think of the, the image of the the biblical, the shepherd and this, this idea of like, well, there's just sheep running around. That's how it was with cattle. They're just (laughs) cattle running around and you just sort of bunched them together and hurt them one way. And it's, it's, It's hard to it's hard thing to do. It takes a lot of talent, but and it, skill. Was
1: a, it was it was definitely a a tough job. Venture. What I, another thing I find remarkable about their friendship is that there was a twenty five year age difference between the two. You know, Loving was yeah. had had a yeah, life before yeah. he even came to Texas, so he was a lot older than than Goodnight was. But they they just clicked as as personalities and meshed well together, and that's that's what's remarkable about their friendship. And that good carried that friendship for his whole life. You know, he carried a picture of his friend with him for his whole life, and that's, that, that's yeah. touching. Hey, uh, can can you guys
0: pledge wallets? Do you still have that picture of me that I gave you to put and carry with you, no, wherever you go, just in case something no, no, happen? No, no.
1: Also, good night. Ninety-one years old marries a twenty-six-year-old. That's awkward. Weird. <laughs> his cousin, distant cousin, distant but, cousin. Yeah. They just happened to share the last name. I shared the last name, but yeah, that had to be an interesting wedding. I and mean, Kanye
0: West wrote a song about that, I think <laughs> maybe it was maybe it was Clint Black. I don't remember.
1: Oh, <laughs> uh, and then yeah, so and then this is definitely you know Lonesome Dove took a lot from this real story, and so that's that's one of the first things that drew me to this story. As uh, to put it on our list is the 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 connection with Lonesome Dove, but the remarkable story that these two men had beyond just being an inspiration for a great book. Yeah.
2: Well, much like uh, Mike has never been to Six Flags, I have neither read nor seen Lonesome Dove. So I will take your word for that.
1: DV what? What? It's on Netflix, actually. You can watch it on Netflix. Maybe I'll watch it. Put it in your queue. All of you listeners, put it in your queue. Watch Lonesome Dove.
2: Good night. Yeah, Bury uh, me in Texas good night
1: Yes
0: That wraps things up for today You can find notes and links from today's show at brainstable.com We'd love to hear from you So like and share us on Facebook Follow the show on Twitter at Texas Podcast Or go to brainstable.com and leave us some feedback You can find our show and many other great history podcasts at historypodcasters.com Why not follow us individually too? I'm on Twitter at Mr. Java
1: I'm Max Sean with two N's And
2: I'm Scotticus with two T's
0: We'd like to thank our friend James Aberdroth for helping us research and write this episode. You can find him on Twitter at Blackguard Press and find his fiction work at blackguardpress.com. If you like the show, tell your friends and leave a review on iTunes. That's what helps us find new listeners just like you. We hope you'll join us next time. And remember that even if you aren't from Texas, Texas, Texas wants you anyway.